welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this episode 277, Aries, as part of our It's All Greek to Me series. Yeah, Amanda, I knew this day would come someday, and we (laughs) unfortunately are going to have to cover maybe my least favorite member of the Olympic pantheon, Aries. But the problem is, like, just because he ranks low on my list of favorite Greek gods doesn't mean that this episode is going to be, like, a downer or not interesting. In fact, doing the research for this episode, I found out a lot of cool shit about Ares that I never knew. And I hope that both you and our listeners get some interesting insight on Ares and kind of where he falls in the pecking order on Olympus. I was going to say, even if he's your least favorite, it feels like that could be sort of the most interesting episode, because as we know, the more fuck boy e the gods are, the more fun we have with it. That is true. That is true. So I guess, Amanda, like always, I want to start us off. Give me your first impressions on Aries. A ram? Is that something? That is the zodiac sign of the ram. Okay. Yes. Spelled differently. Oh, that's true. Other than that, I got really nothing except like war. Okay. War. That's fair. That's what I'm bringing to the table today. Great. I love that. I'm going to, throughout the episode, just like check in with you, be like, all right, how are we feeling about Aries? We good? (laughs) How are we feeling? I'll do my best to reserve judgment. Exactly. Exactly. But I want to feel out your vibe as we kind of go through the story, because unfortunately, Aries is a little bit maligned at times, especially by the Greeks. And I think you'll see why. And then we can kind of talk about whether that's fair or not. Okay, I like it. I'm going in with an open and fair and balanced mind. There we go. That's all I ask for when we go into these episodes. Ares was the Greek god of war, as you pointed out, and was the son of Zeus and Hera, which is actually one of the few children that Zeus had with his actual wife, shockingly. Wow. And oddly enough, most of the gods were kind of ambivalent about Ares. He kind of shares at least some respect in like the domain with Athena because she is also a war goddess, but she is much more beloved by the Greeks compared to Ares. Most of this has to do with the fact that Athena is the goddess of kind of the craft and art of warfare as opposed to Ares, who is more the like physical aspect of battle and also the personification of the brutality and bloodlust that you see in war. I mean, I get why there's a god for that, but it already sounds like he's not being set up to like have a good or happy sort of time. Yeah, no, he's he's not really. And you know what? Sometimes the gods kind of fall into these areas where they're not the happiest that this is their domain. They're not thrilled that this is it. See Hades. But yeah, Ares kind of got the short end of the stick there. Athena, kind of in comparison, is the one who's like handing out wisdom, typically reserved for like strategists and generals and leadership in war, whereas Ares is out in the field giving soldiers the sort of savage and dangerous bloodlust that they need in order to survive a battle. Wow. So whereas Athena gifts wisdom to men, Ares often endows places and objects with his powers and also his personality. Okay. Because like a lot of the kind of defining traits of Ares is highlighted by his differences with Athena, which is why I'm driving this home so hard. No, totally. So in terms of kind of where Ares came from, a lot of times we'll talk about like the pre-Greek traditions that they came out of. Ares probably derived in the northeast 
east of Greece. So like not like the centralized area of Greece that would eventually spread and become more metropolitan and stuff like that. So he was specifically either from Thrace or Scythia. And the Greek historian Herodotus believed that he was a unnamed god who was kind of the second tier of the Scythian divine hierarchy. Fascinating. Yes. So when we're talking about kind of these earlier traditions before the canon of Greek mythology was codified, a lot of times either the names of these gods were lost over time or they evolved into something else as these traditions met other city-states of Greece. Mm -hmm. So this version of Ares the kind of second tier Scythian Ares was offered killings or blood sacrifices of cattle and horses and Herodotus claims as well human sacrifice specifically the god was sacrificed one out of every hundred war captives jeez I yeah. mean it, it makes sense but jeez and I also kind of want to state that like in the minds of the ancient Greeks the Thracians the area in which Ares was said to have come out of were considered like very warlike, not civilized, that kind of thing. So I think a lot, again, a lot of the like, if you're taking Athens as the center of Greece and they're very like, oh, democracy and craft. <laughs> Refinement, yeah. And we're literally named after Athena. They're going to look down on Ares, which again is a lot of like, is Ares just getting kind of a bad rap? Or like, is he actually not as good? It really is all kind of like, hmm, who's telling these stories? Yeah, it also feels a lot like people who are sort of in rooms deciding who goes to war and not on a battlefield doing the war, mm -hmm. sort of outsourcing the unpleasantness of it all or highlighting and sort of deifying and, and reifying the like noble, you know, like stand up for ourselves, like conquer ship, whatever, or even just the material gains that result from that and saying like, oh, but all, all the smelly parts and the the sad parts, like, you know, let's let's shunt that off to the side. That's a great point, Amanda. And I think that is an interesting perspective for something that I want to talk about a little bit later on. So keep that in mind. Definitely. I will. That, that's what I'm cooking on. Yeah. So this version of the uh, Scythian Ares, when he had those kind of human sacrifices of the war captives, the captive's blood was usually used to douse an iron sword, which was the specific symbol of the Scythian Ares. Wow. Yeah. Spooky. Don't really love that. How are we feeling about Ares? Let's check in. I think I preempted your check-in a little bit, but that that is how I am feeling so far, like particularly with the kind of context of the origin and kind of where pre-existing worship of a, a sort of proto-Aries might have existed. I am kind of picturing a lot of sort of men in pristine togas, you know, in the comforts of Athens, making decisions that impact poorer people who have to go out and actually put their lives on the line. Right. Or in the like gleaming white tents at the back of the lines in a battlefield. Exactly. The one on the horse who's at the back and gets to leave. Exactly. Yeah. The one who gets to stand out and be like, all right, everyone else charge. I'm going to stay back here. Mm-hmm. Unlike the other Greek gods, which, you know, this is usually my favorite part, Amanda, Ares did not have a lot of epithets under which he was called or worshipped. In fact, his name comes from the Greek word are, which means bane, ruin, or curse. Oh, no. Yeah, not great. Poor guy. In fact, there was actually a epithet that was given to the names of other gods when they were worshipped as a warrior or involved in warfare. And that was Arios. For example, like Zeus would be Zeus Arios when he was going into battle or Athena Area, you know? Sure. So like 
he preempted kind of other gods' warfare abilities or warfare aspects, which I think is interesting. And it is kind of reminding me of like the context friend, like the friend that you really want to go to a museum with or kind of have bits of or like see at a party, but you wouldn't necessarily hang out one-on-one because they seem like a little bit much for you. And that makes me sympathetic toward Aries. Yeah, I, I might turn you totally around on Aries here. I don't know. You probably will. I'm, I'm going on the journey here. Yeah. So in the Iliad, so basically the Iliad, for those of you who don't know, is the story of the Trojan War, and then it's followed by the Odyssey, which is all about Odysseus's travel back after the Trojan War. But in the Iliad, Homer uses the word Ares as synonymous with the word for battle, Hmm. which I think is cool from a linguistic standpoint. Totally. However, despite not having epithets, he is referred to in the Iliad by Homer. Again, you're going to see this kind of like coloring of him as murderous, bloodstained, the incarnate curse of mortals, and a coward too, who bellows with pain and runs away when he is wounded. Oh, oh, okay. And we will get to that story a little bit later. But Amanda, unsurprisingly, our girl Edith Hamilton, not a fan of Ares. He doesn't strike me as one of the pantheon she'd invite to dinner. Yeah, she's not a fan whatsoever. And I feel like a lot of that is colored by, you know, the Iliad and how he's characterized there. But again, I'm not surprised in the slightest. Edith Hamilton in the mythology mentions that he's not worshipped in any city, which I think has been disproven by scholars in the past. So sorry, Edith, it's been like a century since you published this, so you didn't know any better. But scholars note that Ares did have less formal temples than the other Olympians, but there were still a few that have been found or were noted by ancient historians. So, for example, the historian Pausanias mentioned that in the 2nd century AD, there was a temple to Ares at Olympia, and in Athens, there was the Areopagus or the Mount of Ares, which was a place of worship that was said to be the location where Ares was tried and acquitted for his killing of Helerotheus, who was the son of Poseidon and who had actually raped Ares' daughter. And so he killed him in revenge. Hmm. One of the few justified killings of Ares. And one of the more interesting aspects of the worship of Ares is these chained statues that were found in a temple of Enyalios in Sparta. So the temple featured basically a cult practice of binding images of Ares as a way of ritually binding the god under the orders of this oracle. So each year there was a festival where the statue was ritualistically bound in iron chains, oftentimes by a priest that was supposed to represent Hermes, interestingly enough, because I don't think they really had beef in most of the mythologies, but Hermes kind of doing the dirty work of the gods is a pretty Mm. common aspect. The reasoning given by the oracle was that this ritual binding was that it would make Ares, quote, a peaceful deity for you once he has driven the enemy horde far from your country and he will give rise to prosperity much prayed for. Mm, That's so interesting because it makes a lot of sense, I think, that people would want to kind of look in the face of their actions. It's not Ares driving away enemies, right? It's like people under the the kind of bannership or spirit or possession of Ares in their minds. Like this is the the sort of promise and contradiction of society, right? That like we we can all kind of put away our baser urges and prioritize other people and be a bit more civilized than we would on our own. And we're kind of mutually held to account. And so to have a day, a year where you sort of look in the face of the same spirit, you know, metaphorical or not, that lets you murder others in the battlefields who have their own families and homelands and then 
chain it up and put it away for another day, I can see having really powerful meaning for people. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this aspect of Aries, which I'll give you a little teaser, is called Aries Carpodotes, or the giver of fruits. So this idea that you can only prosper once your borders are safe once the enemy has been driven out is a really interesting one, especially when you are considering that Ares typically is this god of the battlefield. And so Mm -hmm. what do you do with him when there is no longer a battlefield? Yeah. It's almost like this idea, and I obviously like the imagery of it is kind of violent and terrible, but the idea that like blood-soaked fields bear sweeter fruit is very much what the vibe that I get here. Yeah, I think that is definitely the vibe that they're going for. All right, checking in. How are we feeling? (laughs) Feeling like this is a really interesting need for people, right? Like you became a god in the first place because people really needed to put their finger on something about what it is that he represents and that it persisted and was incorporated into the Greek pantheon. I am having a really interesting time kind of thinking about what part of the sort of civilizing and ruling process this serves. Yeah. So that's a really interesting transition into kind of how Ares is perceived in like the myths about the Olympic pantheon and the kind of canon of Greek mythology. So as Edith Hamilton points out, Ares doesn't feature in many myths, like he's not off doing shenanigans like most of the other gods. (laughs) But when he does appear, it's often in a moment where he is being humiliated or shamed. Oh, For example, we talked about this in the Aphrodite episode, but the story in which Aphrodite and Ares are caught in a trap by Aphrodite's husband, Hephaestus, while the two were sleeping together. A little added bonus that I didn't say in the Aphrodite episode, but Ares had at the time tasked his young soldier and companion whose name was Electrion with basically warning Ares if Helios, the sun god, was going to come by. And the problem was Electrion fell asleep while he was on guard duty and Helios discovered Aphrodite and Ares together, told Festus, we know how that turns out. Ares, furious that he got caught, actually turned Electrion into a rooster. And that is why roosters crow at the arrival of the sun every morning. And also the rooster is one of the animals that is usually sacrificed for Ares in his his ritual and his worship. Stunning. We also talked about in the Artemis episode, we talked about those two giant brothers and the sons of Poseidon, which was Otis and Ephialtes, who were the ones who bound Ares in chains and imprisoned him in a bronze cage, or in some stories, it's a bronze urn, before those twins were eventually killed by Artemis and her cunning and trickery. One of the stories that we see Ares featured in most prominently is unsurprisingly the Trojan War. One, because the Iliad is so long and so codified, and also because it's a war. So why wouldn't he be there? Of course. Ares actually originally backed the Greeks, but it was after Aphrodite's persuasion that he joined the side of the Trojans, which kind of put him in direct opposition of his sister Athena. However, even though Ares should be shining in the Trojan War as the god of war, as I mentioned before, he's often characterized as a coward, and especially by Homer. So there is a moment in the battle where Ares appears on the battlefield with the Trojans and then the Greek general Diomedes calls for a retreat because he spots him there among the Trojan troops. However, Athena appeals to Zeus and being like, it's kind of unfair that Ares is out there just fighting when, you know, we're not out there fighting. We're just backing up these mortals. And so Zeus allows Athena to intervene and to drive Ares away from the battlefield. But she doesn't like join the Greek 
Greeks herself. Instead, together with Hera, Athena inspires Diomedes to attack Ares with his spear, which is a thing that no sane mortal would ever do, like without the backing of two goddesses. Oh, yeah. And so when he is struck, Athena makes sure that the attack hits. And it's said that the cries of Ares shook the battlefield and Ares wounded flees back to Mount Olympus and the Trojans are forced to fall back. Wow. To give you a little context about how people feel about Ares, there's a great quote from the Iliad following that scene directly. And it's from the perspective of Zeus. And it's like Ares returning wounded from the war and complaining about the battlefield outside the walls of Troy. And so here it is. So then looking at him darkly, Zeus, who gathers the clouds, spoke to him. Do not sit beside me and whine, you double-faced liar. To me, you are the most hateful of all the gods who hold Olympus. Forever quarreling is dear to your heart, wars and battles. And yet I will not long endure to see you in pain since you are my child and it was to me that your mother bore you. But were you born some other god and proved so ruinous, long since you would have been dropped beneath the gods of the bright sky. Wow. If you weren't my own flesh and blood, I would disown you is a strong statement. Yeah. So as you can see, the Greeks, Homer, the fellow gods on Olympus, even Ares' own father, Zeus, not particularly fond of Ares. No, not at all. But thankfully for Ares, at least not all of the stories about him were negative. And we'll tell a couple more of those stories and learn about his like squad just as soon as we get back from our refill. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Julia, welcome to The Refill. Do you want some of this delicious vegan cheese spread that was brought by our newest patrons, Amber, Megs, and Rico-like? Um, yes, Amanda, you've really gotten me into the like non-dairy cheeses lately, and I really appreciate that. Oh, well, thank you for being open to it. I know it's like different. It's not milk-based, but for those of us who can't digest the milk, it's nice to be able to enjoy. And... It goes very well with the amazing like artisanal cracker platter, gluten-free and not, by the way, brought by our supporting producer-level patrons, Alicia, Anne, Fruity Chick, Hannah, Jack Marie, Jane, J. Bay Bay, Jessica Kinzer, Jessica Stewart, Nieselkins, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Megan Moon, Phil Fresh, Captain Jonathan, Malachi Cosmos, Sarah Scott, Taylor, and Zazie. Man, are they each brought a box of different crackers and now we're just swimming in crackers. Honestly, my dream. I'm, I have no notes. I'm never going to leave. Well, luckily, our legend level patrons bought a bunch of different like dips and tapenades and stuff. Audra, Bex, Clara, Iron Havoc, Morgan, Mother of Vikings, Sarah, and BME Up Scotty. Thank you, guys. This is great. So good. And there is plenty of room to go around, by the way. So if you would like to have your name read on the show, if you want to enjoy the six years of extras we have over on our Patreon, go to Patreon patreon.com slash spirits podcast. Your support for as little as a dollar an episode helps us to make this our job and to pay our new researcher and to edit the show, to spiff up our equipment, maybe our music someday soon. I don't know. Maybe we're working on it to make Mm -hmm. the listening experience a little more fun for you. So all of that, patreon.com slash spirits podcast. Now, Amanda, we're heading back into the party. And did I hear you recommending something to someone when we were out there before? Yes, I have been diving back into my pandemic comfort zone of Cuddleburg. <gasps> That's right, Julia. It's my Animal Crossing island, Cuddleburg. And I am finally enjoying the updates that Animal Crossing New Horizons has published over the last year. I, I fell off Cuddleburg for a while. I felt guilty. I felt like my islanders when I visited were all going to be like, oh, hey, um, 
um, haven't been here for a while, that's awkward. And I'll be like, I know, I'm sorry. But I have been enjoying things like cooking and uh, the the sort of like commune space that got opened up. There's new kinds of things you can dig up, new bugs to catch, new fish to catch. It is just such a dream. So highly recommend Animal Crossing. And if you haven't picked up in a while, try it. I bet your villagers were happy you were back. Oh, thank you. They were. After they, they had their first kind of sassy comment, they were happy to have me. <laughs> and they threw me a birthday party. Oh, Julia, it was Aww. so good. So cool. Well, listeners, if you love what we do here on Spirits and you love the other multitude shows and you've caught up on all of them, which I, bravo, very impressed. There is good news because there are other shows that you can listen to at Multitude, including our weekly friendly debate show, Head, Heart, Gut. That's right. This is a, let's call it low stakes, but high intensity debate show where every single month, three different Multitude hosts get on to debate definitively with our quantitative metrics and ultimately a final debate that's timed and judged by a guest judge. The best of three things. We're doing Neapolitan ice cream right now. We're trying something actually experimental in April that multi-crew members already know what it's going to be. So if you want to know, you got to join to find out. And it's another multitude show that has been going on weekly since 2019. So there is a ton to catch up on or just dive right in and enjoy talking about it with other multi-crew members in the multitude discord. So that is a way to support multitude as an independent collective here in the big bad world of podcasting and help us do things like start new shows shows, which we may or may not be working on. So go to multicrew.club to learn all about the multi-crew, to learn about Head, Heart, Gut, and to get access to this weekly friendly debate show. Julia, we talk a lot about morning rituals. You really opened my eyes with the idea of a morning bath, Mm -hmm. which is just so badass, and I appreciate it so much. But have you thought a lot about evening rituals? Do you have something that you do to kind of wind down and transition into the sleep or the relaxing time? I usually read a book before bed, but I really haven't given much thought into like what other like steps I can take to relax myself more at night. I definitely am very sensitive to light. So I start kind of turning off certain lights in my house as we get toward bedtime. In my room, I have like two different sets of string lights, one that's brighter and one that's less bright. And so when I'm like laying down to read, I'll turn on them both. And then when I'm ready to almost start going to sleep, I'll turn off the one to leave the other one. I have a whole process. But your senses, like all of them really matter. And so I think that it's a great idea to use something like Calm, which is the mental wellness app that gives you the tools you need to improve the way you feel. To relax, you can use their soundscapes, their guided meditations, curated music tracks, and of course, those sleep stories. Shout out to the train gang, all of us who listen to train stories to fall asleep. Love you, see you, appreciate you. That is a wonderful way to start transitioning yourself to power off at night. Yeah, and over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. And Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier life today. And for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash spirits. Go to calm.com slash spirits for 40% off an unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash spirits. Amanda, is there a piece of clothing in your closet that just feels perfect, like the one that you always put on because it looks good and it feels good and you don't have to break it in because like it's perfect from the moment that you put on. Yes, I have a pair of overalls that I then went ahead and bought in two more colors that I put them on and I feel kind of like a pokey trainer, kind of like a farmer and in both cases ready to just take on the day because I have so many pockets, Julia. How can my day go wrong with so many pockets? Pockets are great. And you know what else feels like pockets for your boobs? It is the Third Love 24 classic t-shirt bra. It is so 
so comfortable. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's great in both its fit, its style, its function, and its design. And it's been loved and worn by so many people. And it doesn't like, it doesn't like pinch in or it doesn't dig. It is so, so incredibly comfortable. And it's got those straps that never slip. It's fantastic. I'm literally wearing one right now. True story. I did my first in-person event in two years a few weeks ago, and I wore a third love bra because I wanted to feel like I had the confidence and extra oomph and it was not distracting, right? Like it fit. I forgot it was on. And that I think is the highest compliment you can pay to a bra because normally you're like, hey, this sucks and I want to take it off, but not with third love stuff. And even if you do try a third love bra and it doesn't quite fit you the way that you want it to fit, their exchanges and their returns are free for 60 days. You have to love your fit guarantee. Guaranteed. And their team of expert fit stylists are available to answer all of your questions about the bras and your boobs. Yeah. So if you're like, hey, this is great, except that the cupscape or the band is a little bit tight or the straps are falling down, they're like, oh, here's the thing that you need. And you can use the half sizes. You can adjust to a different cut of bra. It's super, super helpful to have somebody to talk to and not just like, oh, gonna exchange it and hope the next size is better. And trust me, feeling is believing. So you can give your boobs the 24-7 comfort and support that they deserve. Upgrade your bra today and get 20% off your first order today at thirdlove.com spirits. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash spirits. And finally, Julia, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. This month, BetterHelp is asking us to remind you that you matter just as much as everybody else in your life does. And all the ways that you show up for your friends and family and loved ones, and you would drop anything to go help somebody in need, you deserve to put that amount of care and urgency into the way you feel and the way you treat yourself as well. Yeah, absolutely. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy and you can be matched with your therapist in under 48 hours. Give it a try and see why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. It's so great. I've been using it for years for my own therapy. And if you don't have a great match with your therapist, it is easy and free to switch, which is totally not how it is IRL and something that was a real selling point for me in choosing BetterHelp for my own therapy. So once more, this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Spirits listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash spirits. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash spirits. And now let's get back to the show. So Amanda, in my mind, Aries is very much a like cheap shots of whatever bottom shelf or well alcohol is on sale kind of guy mm -hmm. and whatever gets me fucked up the quickest so I can go fight someone in a parking lot kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. My dad hates me, so I'm going to do shots of Everclear. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For our listeners, I don't personally recommend that as a drink <laughs> pairing for this episode. No. So I came up with a cocktail choice that should be much more enjoyable. So I am going to recommend you all the Man of War cocktail, which is a very classy bourbon and citrusy drink with a little bit of sweetness and a bit of zing to it. It probably won't make you want to fight people in a parking lot. So that's a plus. Yeah, no, that's that's never a, a good a good outcome. Yeah. So this is bourbon, triple sec, a little bit of sweet vermouth, some lemon juice, though you could probably like kind of hype it up with another type of citrus as well if you wanted to get fancy about it. And then for people who want a little bit more sweetness, you can do a little drizzle simple syrup to taste. Love it. So with a kind of sweeter option, let's talk about a slightly less embarrassing story for Aries. So Ares played a pretty substantial role in the founding of the city of Thebes, though it's not really the same kind of nice way that Athena is associated with Athens. 
As you might remember, Thebes was founded by the hero Cadmus, who was instructed by Athena to follow a sacred cow to a spring, where she then told him to defeat the spring's water dragon guardian, and then told him to bury the dragon's teeth in the ground. And from there, the teeth kind of sprang out of the ground as these fierce armed men, who then Cadmus tricked into fighting among themselves until there was only five remaining. And then he got those five remaining men to help him build the citadel of Thebes. Mm-hmm. However, because there's always a however, the dragon that Cadmus killed was sacred to Ares and in some stories was like one of his children. And after Thebes was built, Ares came to the hero and was like, hey, that was fucked up. You're in trouble now. So what you're going to do to make it up to me is you're going to serve as my servant for eight years as penance for that death. Always also a good lesson for your D&D campaigns that when you kill one bad thing, a bigger bad's probably going to be mad about it. Yes. It's very Beowulf, too, where it's like, yes. yeah, you killed the Grendel, but not the Grendel's mother. Now she's pissed. Oh, yeah. Cadmus actually does serve Ares and serves him well. And Ares is so pleased with Cadmus's service that he gives Cadmus his daughter, the goddess Harmonia, as his wife. Pretty nice. Not a bad deal. Not bad. Somewhat bad, though. <laughs> <laughs> so the wedding of Cadmus and Harmonia is like one of those big Greek mythology events, for sure. Like, oh, everyone was there, Julia. Everyone was there. Everyone was there. And as we've talked about before, Ares and Hephaestus, not the best of friends, certainly. And Harmonia is the daughter of Ares and Aphrodite, Aphrodite being Hephaestus's wife. Yep. So Harmonia received many gifts, as one does when you're a beautiful goddess and also getting married. One of those gifts was from Hephaestus, and it was called the Necklace of Harmonia. Hephaestus made it himself. Very nice. However, definitely cursed. Oh, I was, I'm so nervous. Like, my whole body is clenching. 100% cursed. Brought misfortune to whoever possessed it. Fuck. Yeah. So Cadmus's family, therefore, was constantly struck with misfortune. And as the like ruling family, that meant like their royal children were constantly like either dying or terrible things were happening to them. His city was constantly like restless and like on the verge of either collapse or riots under his rule. And so Cadmus, as soon as he was able, kind of like gave up his throne to one of his children and fucking left with his wife. Jeez. Bummer. And Cadmus kind of reflecting on his life was like, all of this happened because I slayed that dragon. That dragon kind of fucked me all over the place. I'm not a fan. I wish I had never done that. And he said to Harmonia, he basically says that if the gods are so invested in the life of that serpent, I wished for that life for myself. And in that instant, uh -oh. which you never make wishes that the gods can no. hear. Oh, Julia, was he turned into a dragon? He turns into a dragon. Fuck. And Harmonia sees him, you know, growing scales, transforming. And so she begs Ares, let me share the same fate as my husband. And so she is oh, transformed no. as well. We get a double Animorphs corner. Double Animorphs corner. Now they're like these dragon human hybrids going on. And Ares is like, well, my beautiful daughter is now a dragon lady. Damn. Not for, not for his fault, though. He tried his best. He wasn't trying to hurt anyone in this one. That's true. Poor Harmonia, though. But speaking of Harmonia, Ares had a lot of other children that we talked about in our Aphrodite episode. You'll probably remember Deimos, who is terror, also Phobos, who is fear. And not only were they 
Ares' children, but they attended to him on the battlefield as well. So he basically had like, a whole brigade of folks that if Ares was riding out into the battlefield, here's the folks that came along. There was Eris, who's the goddess of discord, who we discussed in the Aphrodite episode, famous for the golden apple that started the Trojan War. There was also Enio, who was the goddess of bloodshed and violence. It was also said that the minor war god Enyalius was either Ares' son by Enyo or another aspect and name for Ares himself, but in most cases he was another attendant for Ares. There was also Kidoimus, who was said to be the personification of the confusion and uproar in the middle of battle, which I think is very evocative and very cool. It is. If you've ever seen a war movie and like, you know, the main character that you're following is all of a sudden looking around the battlefield and you can't tell friend from foe and there's ringing in your ears and everything slowed down and distorted, that's his vibe. Totally. Finally, there was another daughter of Ares that rode alongside him whose name was Alala, who was the personification of the Greek war cry, which was said to be a mimicry of Ares' own war cry. I was going to say, with that name, it's got to be something that sounds like the name. And sure enough, it was. It was probably like a phonetic like spelling of what it sounded like, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool and neat, I think. Me too. Yeah. Let's do the quick check-in, Amanda. How are we think about Ares? I am still kind of stuck on this idea of this is the history, as you were saying earlier, of the conquerors, right? Of the, the victors of the sort of empire. And I think it really serves the conquerors to view war and war making as a sort of like, quote unquote, primitive act or something that needs to be denigrated or something that is even cowardly. Like the association of battle and cowardice, I think is really fascinating because I think it depends on them to give you a justification or to give you permission to do this or make sure that the like structures of society make you feel super justified in doing it and then you you know use your ritual and you and you put it away so Ares as a figure feels like almost the most like two-dimensional of any of the gods that we've talked about so far like what was his experience what was it like you know why why are his kids discord and fear like that is kind of an enigma to me and so maybe more than the others I'm thinking about this as like a, a tool of a state yes That's very interesting. And we're going to talk about that very soon. But it's also interesting because I feel like we give Ares like, oh, you know, his children are fear and discord. Oh, you know, here's all of these like bloody and violent gods that are associated with him. But not the only ones, honestly. So, for example, one of his other children was the goddess Nike, who is the personification of victory. Mm. Though in other stories, she was the child of Pallas and Styx. But it's another goddess that is very much associated with him, but not one who is like extremely violent, similar to Harmonia. He was also said to be the father of the Amazons, which I think is really interesting and something I kind of forgot when thinking about the Amazons. And while the Amazons were this warrior race... I think kind of DC and the comic universe of who the Amazons are have kind of thrown me off in terms of like, oh, no, they were like a war society in Greek mythology. But I do think of that kind of like perfect, beautiful island of all ladies. You know? Oh, yeah. Hard to forget once you once you see it. Exactly. But like, it really is interesting that Ares was the father of the first Amazon queen who he had with not the same Harmonia, not his daughter, (laughs) but a different Harmonia who is a nymph. However, uh, because this is Greek mythology, another famous Amazon queen, Hippolyta, was said to be the daughter of the first Amazon queen and also Ares. So there's that usual Greek mythology incest that we have come to learn and expect. Exactly. 
Not know and love, but expect. Expect, certainly. Not going to say love because not a fan. So, Amanda, this is kind of where we get into the aspects that you've been talking about throughout. So in later representations of Ares, either by the Romans as Mars or during the Renaissance era, Ares was much more highly respected. So part of this is because the Romans elevated Mars to be the father of Romulus, who is Rome's legendary founder. And as such, he began to take on this role of like guardian deity of the entire Roman state. Mm -hmm. In these representations, Ares was typically shown with either as or with a spear and a helmet as his kind of representation. His animal was the dog, his bird was the vulture, also, as we talked about before, the rooster. And the the Romans chose to portray him not as the cowardly and bloodthirsty war god of the Greeks, but rather this personification of valor and courage in battle, which I think kind of like gets away from the point and the separation between Ares as the war god and Athena as the war god. But that's also like just the Romans for you. And I think a lot of that has to do with the unification of the Roman state and the kind of like nationalism of Roman warfare, as opposed to the Greeks, which were kind of like, yeah, it was the Greek society as a whole, but there was a lot of like inter-warfare between the city-states. Going back to the point that you've brilliantly made several times at this point, the idea that like we have to make this god more appealing to make our war seem more appealing does kind of seem like this propaganda almost, right? It's a rebrand, right? Exactly. So like you're telling the people like, oh no, this war god is your protector and your father of the city, like basically the grandfather of the Roman Empire. And so he embodies all of these like valor and courage that you as a Roman soldier must have in order to protect the Roman state. Totally. And venerate that and the people and the apparatus that uses all of these perhaps sometimes unpleasant requirements and skills for all of our mutual benefit. Yeah, it feels very much to me the kind of like Uncle Sam wants you poster. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Where now Mars slash Ares is Uncle Sam and you as a soldier, we're not going to embody that kind of like, oh, yes, bloodshed in the battlefield is scary and violent and like chaos and discord. No, you are honoring Mars slash Ares by being a soldier and like embodying his valor and his bravery and his courage when you're on the battlefield. Like all of Sons of Spirits, this makes me want to really dive into like historical comparisons and papers that people have written on this subject. Oh my God, I bet there's some really, really great ones out there. If you have written one, hey, let us know. I would love to hear about it and also read it. Now, Amanda, kind of to wrap us up, I have a couple of hymns to Ares that I came across that I think also give us an idea of what the everyday person felt when worshiping Ares or thinking about Ares. And I would love to do a little bit of Poetry Corner for him as well. Poetry Corner! We're going to start with the Homeric hymn to Ares. Cool. So this one goes, Ares, exceeding in strength, chariot rider, golden helmed, doughty in heart, shield bearer, savior of cities, harnessed in bronze, strong of arm, unwearying, mighty with the spear, O defense of Olympus, father of warlike victory, ally of Themis, stern governor of the rebellious, leader of righteous men, sceptered king of manliness, 
who whirl your fiery sphere among the planets in their sevenfold courses through the ether, wherein your blazing steeds ever bear you above the third firmament of heaven. Hear me, helper of men, giver of dauntless youth. Shed down a kindly ray from above upon my life and strength of war that I may be able to drive away bitter cowardice from my head and crush down the deceitful impulses of my soul. Restrain also the keen fury of my heart which provokes me to tread the ways of blood-curdling strife. Rather, O blessed one, give you me boldness to abide within the harmless laws of peace, avoiding strife and hatred and the violent fiends of death. Wow. This really says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, again, when we talk about the way that he is portrayed in these stories, a lot of times the fact that you are calling for him to drive away cowardice from my head, mm -hmm. to crush down the deceitful impulses of my soul, that is so interesting because he's so often portrayed as being a coward of falling into these deceitful impulses. They're calling for him to help with getting rid of them, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that that also goes to the relatability of gods, right? Like we are supposed to look to this example and these stories and see not people that act perfectly or that are sort of above moral trials and tribulations, but who also get caught up in jealousy and emotion and rivalries and get tricked and trick each other. And so for Ares to be somebody who demonstrates cowardice, even though he's the one who's supposed to embody the opposite of cowardliness. That's pretty powerful. And I think it says to the average person, whether they're trying to summon up the courage to, you know, have a difficult conversation with somebody, or maybe the Greeks don't want them to like oppose a conqueror. But, you know, there are lots of situations where you would kind of call for that strength and knowing that the person you're calling from also has their own foibles, I think makes it more persuasive and stronger and not like we're sort of pretending everybody's perfect and and I'm just, you know, here a lowly worm. I love that. And I love the idea because we talk about on the show all the time that the reason we tell myths and legends is to teach society lessons and to have them come away with like how we're supposed to act in society. Maybe a lot of the stories that are told by Ares are methods in which we tell each other, okay, don't act like this. Look at Ares. He has learned his lesson. Look at the scolding that that he got from Zeus. If you are to call upon Ares, know that you know that he has learned his lessons from the stories that you've heard from him and that he is the person to go to in order to learn more, you know? Totally. And maybe especially for a god that's kind of so powerful and whose domain isn't just like growing stuff, which I say loving all of the gods that are bot farming, as we know. Maybe this god in particular really needs some examples of overreach or positive examples of restraint because venerating someone with sort of unchecked power might sort of give peasants ideas. I also love, because we're talking about that, the phrase stern governor of the rebellious. Yes. That is so evocative. I love that being like, yeah, you can rebel. Just know Ares is going to be the one in charge of you and he is not afraid of a little bloodshed. Yeah. No, absolutely. So like weigh your options carefully. And if, you know, rebellion is called for, Ares will back you. But at the same time, if you're just like, if you don't have justification, he won't. Mm -hmm. All right, we have one more to kind of finish us out. And this is an Orphic hymn. So this one goes to Ares, fumigation from frankincense, magnanimous, unconquered, boisterous Ares in darts rejoicing and in bloody wars, fierce and untamed, whose mighty power can make the strongest walls from their foundations shake. Mortal destroying king, defiled with gore, pleased with war's dreadful and tumultuous roar. 
the human blood and swords and spears delight, and the dire ruin of mad savage fight. Stay furious contests and avenging strife, whose works with woe embitter human life. With lovely Chiarpus, who's Aphrodite, and Tilios, who's Dionysus, yield. For arming exchange the labors of the field, encourage peace to gentle works inclined, and give abundance with benignant mind. Wow. There's really the meter of Shakespeare in there. That really feels like the final speech in like Midsummer or Macbeth. Yeah, that is a translation from the Human Sacrifice in Ancient Greece, which was published in 1991. All right. Good job, guys. Good translation. I love that they're saying like, listen, Aries, we get it. So brave and strong and smart and hot. <laughs> However, take a chill pill. Uh, put it on the back burner. Yield to Aphrodite and Dionysus. And, you know, lay down your rifle. Pick up a rake be benevolent instead of all those other things that you were before. Yeah. We know that you call for bloodshed because that is in your nature, but we as humans would prefer not to fight. Please and thank you. We don't like fighting. Yeah. You love these things and we don't. So would you consider farming? I love the phrase defiled with gore. Mm -hmm. That is so evocative and gross and I love it. I really like this idea that like one, yes, the first hymn was kind of calling for like, hey, here's lessons that I could learn from Aries. And then this one is like, hey, Aries, we get it. Can you chill for like a second, please, my guy? I beg of you. Yeah, they're really saying like, we know that you love it, but that is not what we love. And please, sir, would you consider growing some vegetables? Yes. Or letting us grow some vegetables. It's cool, man, if you want to do your war stuff every now and again, but the rest of us got to eat. The furious contests and avenging strife, like they really do embitter my my little human life. So please to not. It's like an, an appeal on behalf of society. Whereas the previous poem felt more like an individual appeal of like, I need not the whole thing, but I need to like borrow a little bit of inspiration from you. I think actually the last one kind of very much embodies bodies that like Aries of the fruit, you know, the giver of fruit Aries when he is chained and bound and they're like, all right, we're only going to let you out if someone invades our land. Otherwise, you got to stay and be chill, my guy. Yeah. And I mean, like in a lot of ways, farming in sort of that like bucolic pastoral fantasy, like that is the opposite of war, right? Or that's the home front to use your sort of World War II propaganda poster example from earlier, which I think is excellent. Having rewatched uh, Avengers Endgame uh, last night, <laughs> that is kind of the the society that we're all fighting for when states want to remind us and sort of put a very like nationalistic and easily defensible excuse for war kind of on our minds. It makes a lot of sense, even though I first kind of cocked my head, that sort of farming and fruit would go hand in hand with war. Yeah, there you go. Hey, look, poems giving us even more context. Incredible. Thanks. So, man, I guess that's what I want to wrap with on Aries. Final thoughts. Did we turn you around on Aries? I think Aries is a very interesting tool. And I think that if I heard his name or heard him invoked or heard a story, I would sort of get really curious instead of being like, oh, God of War, whatever. That's to me now a signal of like, who is invoking him and why? And I think that's a really great outcome. So good job, Julia. Thank you. I'm actually very glad with how this episode came out because I went into it being like, oh, I don't want to do a whole thing on Aries. I don't like Aries. But both the research and getting to talk about it with you gave me a lot of insight into him being, like you said, a tool and not being as two-dimensional as the Greek stories and Greek myths and Greek canon kind of make him out to be. Oh my God, it's all Greek to me, babe. It's all Greek to me, babe. Here we go. <laughs> well, thank you, Julia. And everybody, remember, stay creepy, stay cool. 
Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us in your urban legends and your advice from folklore questions at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast, for all kinds of behind-the-scenes goodies. Just a dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more, like recipe cards, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, for every single episode, director's commentaries, real physical gifts, and more. We are a founding member of Multitude, an independent podcast collective and production studio. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. Above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please text one friend about us. That's the very best way to help keep us growing. Thanks for listening to Spirits. We'll see you next week. Bye.